Chapter 6 Scott stared through the windscreen as Jason pulled into the side street and parked the car in front of the gate and the railings. Across the square, he could see the tall Georgian house, its white stucco brickwork, the large bay-fronted windows, the red front door. Home. He half expected to see his dad standing there, waiting for him on the doorstep. Instead, a uniformed police officer stood at the bottom of the steps, his helmet protecting him from the freezing rain that had started to fall. At the bottom of the pathway leading up to the house, a bright yellow line of police tape was stretched across the gate. As D.I. Dyer turned off the ignition and unclipped his seatbelt, Scott reached for the passenger door handle. Where do you think you're going? Dyer's words halted Scott in his tracks. It's my house, Scott replied. Whatever evidence my dad stashed away, I'll be able to find it. (laughs) No way, said Dyer. I've taken enough of a risk already by agreeing to this. I can't risk you compromising the crime scene as well. You mean where a policeman broke into my house? Scott laughed hollowly. Where he nearly killed me? I'm sorry, Dyer shook his head decisively, but you're staying here while I check this evidence story out. That's the deal. He pushed open the door and stepped out of the car. Resting his arm on the doorframe, he leaned down to meet Scott's dissatisfied glare. Stay here, okay? I'll be back soon and we can take things from there. Scott gave a grudging nod. He had no choice. Satisfied, Dyer shut the car door and set off purposefully across the square. Scott watched as he reached the gate, lifted the line of police tape, walked up the pathway, then flashed his warrant card to the uniform standing sentry there. After a brief exchange of words, Scott saw the police officer hold the door open for Dyer as he stepped inside, disappearing from view as the door closed behind him. Scott stared out at the raindrops that were running in rivulets down the glass. He felt powerless, stuck in this car while less than 50 metres away, the evidence that could help bring his father's killers to justice lay hidden. He reached again for the door handle, half opening it this time, but then slowly pulling it shut again as realisation dawned. There was no way he'd be able to get past the copper standing on the doorstep, and Dyer would go ballistic if he even tried. It was no good. He'd just have to stick to the deal and trust that Dyer was enough of a detective to find whatever his dad had hidden away in there. Jason stood at the door to the study, carefully appraising the scene. The uniform at the door had told him that forensics had finished up less than an hour ago and he could see their handiwork all around him. D.C. Skinner's corpse had been spirited away, only a faint scarlet stain remaining on the polished wooden floorboards. The shards of mirror that had lain shattered in a starburst around the body, the scattered books, files and papers, not a sign of them remained. Each and every scrap of evidence had been meticulously bagged tagged and collected. On the desk sat Alex Williams's laptop, waiting for the tech guys to pick it up, but every single file and paper that had littered the desk were gone, leaving just a solitary framed photograph of Scott and his father standing there. Jason cursed underneath his breath. Even if, even if Alex Williams had concealed evidence somewhere in this room, he was too late to find it. Forensics had stripped the study practically bare, When one of their own was killed, they went the extra mile. He scratched his head as he walked around the study, trying to fit this case's jigsaw-like pieces together. 
ever since he'd started investigating Alex Williams's death, supposedly an open and shut suicide, things had been getting steadily stranger. The break-in. Detective Constable Skinner apparently attempting to murder Williams's son. Then Scott's bizarre claim that Skinner was the man who tried to kidnap him six months earlier. Jason didn't know much about Skinner, as he'd only been transferred to the Nick a few weeks ago. The unsettling thing, although he hadn't mentioned this to Scott, was that when he'd informed Nichols that DC Skinner was lying dead in Alex Williams's study, the Gov hadn't seemed that surprised. What was going on here? Had Skinner been working undercover? Jason remembered Skinner's glassy eyes staring out at him sightlessly, the shard of mirror piercing his skull. He wasn't going to be able to tell him any time soon. They'd not even been able to track down the social worker who was supposed to have been staying with Scott. It was as if she'd disappeared off the face of the earth. And the only lead he'd found so far led to some old hippie who had got Scott all fired up with stories of supernatural apparitions, secret societies and an an apocalyptic hell waiting just around the corner. Jason picked up the framed photograph of Alex and Scott Williams from the desk. In the picture, Alex had his arm around his son's shoulders, the two of them smiling happily with the London skyline illuminated behind them. Alex Williams had everything to live for. The last sentence of his suicide note nagged at the back of Jason's brain. Remember the good times and keep the memory safe. As Jason turned the photo frame over in his hands, examining it closely, his fingers felt the hint of a bulge in the back corner. He prized the back of the frame open and saw with a rush of excitement a sliver-thin memory card hidden behind the picture. Intrigued, Jason carefully picked out the memory card and firing up the laptop on the desk, slotted it into place. As the new device detected icon flashed up, he clicked on it and saw a single audio file appear on the screen with a one-word file name, Truth MP3. Jason smiled wryly to himself. That would make a welcome change. Opening the file with a click, he heard a sharp hiss of static and then the unmistakable tones of the Minister for Transport. Jerry Daedalus oozed out of the speakers. The days are growing shorter. Our finest hour is almost at hand. Once the final stages of the Greening of the Road project are completed, the deadways will be open once more. The Brothers of Albion can step out of the shadows and take our rightful place at the dawn of a great new era. Through the speakers came the sounds of fists banging on the table in agreement and a chorus of hear, hear. Jason listened on in disbelief. Daedalus's voice came through the speakers once more. Let the halcyon days begin. What does this mean? Jason muttered, bewildered by the enormity of the discovery. It means you're not as useless as we'd hoped. At the sound of the voice, Jason turned in alarm, standing in the doorway, pointing a gun straight at him was Detective Chief Inspector Nichols. I think we need to have a little talk, don't you? Scott fidgeted restlessly in the passenger seat. Through the window, he could still see the policeman standing sentry outside, but when he looked up to the window of his father's study, there was no movement. Dyer had been in there for almost half an hour, and there was still no sign of him reappearing. 
He couldn't wait any longer. Pushing the car door open, Scott stepped out into the street. The only way he was going to get at the truth would be if he found it himself. Opening the gate in the railings, he began to walk across the tree-lined square, drumming his fingers nervously against the outside of his thighs as he walked. He'd think of a way to get past the copper stationed at the front door when he got there. He was just over 20 metres away when he saw a black Mercedes glide up to the curb outside his front gate. Quickly, Scott stepped behind a tree, dead leaves crunching under his feet as he peered out to see who this latest visitor was. A tall, broad-shouldered man with thinning black, brill-creamed hair stepped out of the car, pulling the collar of his long, dark overcoat up around his neck. Scott watched as the man pushed past the police tape and walked up the path towards his house. The policeman standing on the front steps seemed to straighten his stance as the man spoke to him. Scott strained to hear their words, but the sound of the icy rain falling through the branches made this impossible. Scott was surprised to see the uniformed officer step down from his post and walk towards the squad car that was parked just ahead of the Mercedes. The man in the overcoat watched as the police car pulled away from the curb and sped off down the road. Then he pushed open the door to Scott's house and disappeared inside. Scott hurried to the gate and, ducking under the yellow line of police tape, cautiously approached the front door. Through the frosted glass window at the top of the door, he could see the tall man's dark shape slowly ascending the stairs, heading straight towards his father's study. As the man turned at the top of the stairs and disappeared from sight, Scott reached into his pocket and pulled out his house key. Turning the key in the lock, Scott pushed the door open a fraction, listening intently for any sound from the interior of the house. The empty silence unnerved him. Where was D.I. Dyer? He cautiously stepped inside, carefully pushing the door closed behind him. Stepping lightly on the polished floorboards, Scott listened again at the bottom of the stairs. He could now hear faint voices coming from behind the closed study door at the top of the stairs. Moving as quietly as he could, Scott climbed. Scott slowly climbed up the stairs, wincing at every creak the floorboards made beneath his feet. He felt like a burglar in his own home. Reaching the landing, Scott leaned forward to peer through the crack where the door had been left slightly ajar. He could see D.I. Dyer sitting in front of his father's desk. Behind him, the screen of a laptop was open, but Dyer's attention was turned towards the man in the dark overcoat, who was standing just behind the door, half blocking Scott's view. The man began to speak, and as Scott craned his neck to try and hear exactly what he was saying, he saw with a jolt of fear that the man had a gun in his hand, its shiny black barrel pointing straight at D.I. Dyer. Why did you have to try and prove yourself, Jason? the man asked. I thought we'd done the right thing assigning you to this case. A dead-end investigator who could be relied upon not to start poking around too much. I'm sorry to be such a disappointment to you, Gov, Dyer retorted, his sarcasm battling the tremor in his voice. DCI Nichols waved him into silence with the gun. Give me the laptop. He held out his left hand towards Jason, the gun still held in his right. Nichols' words dripped with an unrefusable authority, and that's an order. Jason hesitated for a moment, but the sight of the cold barrel of steel staring straight at him forced his hand. He reached back for the computer, clicking the screen shut, and then held it out towards his superior. 
gun still firmly in his grasp, Nichols took hold of the laptop and then stepped back towards the door of the study. In a sudden violent movement, he smashed the computer against the wall. The casing splintered and cracked. As with a sickening intensity, he hammered the laptop against the wall again and again and again. The screen shattered and the keyboard peeled away, its exposed circuit boards smashing into fragments. All the time, Nichols kept his gun firmly trained on Jason. Hidden behind the door, Scott cringed at the violence. His hope of seeing whatever it was that Dyer had discovered, the evidence that his father had hidden, was now being obliterated before his eyes. The damage done, Nichols let go of the laptop and it clattered to the floor. He poked through the wreckage to extract the memory card and then brought the heel of his shoe cracking down on it. Scott could hear the plastic casing disintegrate as Nichols ground it into tiny pieces beneath his heel. That's the evidence taken care of, Nichols announced with relish as he turned his full attention back to Jason. Now, where's Scott Williams? Hearing his name, Scott tensed, stepping backwards in shock. The floorboard beneath his feet creaked dangerously. He froze, his heartbeat racing as he silently prayed that he hadn't been heard. What do you mean? Jason asked. The boy! Where is he? repeated DCI Nichols, a new strain of menace entering his voice. Don't try and tell me you've worked all this out on your own. You're not that good a detective. The boy knows something. Why else would he have disappeared? Nichols pulled the safety off the gun, his finger still poised above the trigger. So, where are you hiding him? Scott's heartbeat thudded in his throat, hammering so hard he felt like he was going to choke. He was standing a few feet away from a man who wanted him dead, a man who was now pointing a gun straight at D.I. Dyer. All that separated them was a wooden door. He's safe, Jason spat out the words in defiance. That's all you're going to get from me. Too bad, Nichols replied, holding the gun so that it was pointing straight at Jason's head. It might have bought you a few more hours. Why are you doing this? Jason asked, his voice shaking with barely suppressed fear. You're a policeman, for God's sake. I know what I am, Nichols answered coldly, but my loyalty lies with a much greater power. Jason remembered Daedalus's words crackling out from the laptop that now lay smashed on the floorboards in front of him. The brothers of Albion, he muttered bitterly. In response to Jason's words, Nichols' smile tightened, a frown creasing his forehead. He cocked the pistol, its barrel staring straight at Jason's skull. Goodbye, D.I. Dyer. Scott heard the click of the gun being cocked. Through the crack in the door, he saw Dyer grimace in anticipation of what was to come. In Scott's mind, the image of the dead man lying on the floor of his father's office flashed by. Not again. He wouldn't allow it. Instinct overriding his fear, Scott slammed the study door open. It swung with a whip crack into DCI Nichols' back and sent him staggering off balance as the shot rang out. The bullets streaked through the air as Dyer dived to the floor. As the bullet's impact sent him spinning sideways, Jason felt a sudden searing pain blossoming in his shoulder. The bullet tore through the skin and then rifled into the wall in an explosion of plaster. Cursing, Nichols scrambled for the pistol that had fallen from his grasp. But Scott was there first and snatched it up from the floor. Holding the gun in his trembling hands, Scott pointed it down at the face that was snarling back up at him. 
You, said Nichols, spitting the word out in frustration. Scott stepped backwards as Dyer appeared at his shoulder. Sweat beaded Jason's face as his hand reached up to the crimson stains spreading across his shoulder. When he pulled his fingers away, they were sticky with blood. I thought I told you to stay in the car, he said, breathing heavily as he forced out the words. Are you okay? Scott asked, his finger nervously hovering over the trigger as he kept his gaze fixed on Nichols, who was slowly pulling himself back to his feet. What do we do now? I'm fine said Jason, as he reached out with shaking hands and took the gun from Scott, all the time keeping the barrel firmly trained on Nichols. When he spoke next, his words were for his boss. It's over. I don't know why you've been doing this, sir, but whatever you and the Brothers of Albion were trying to do, it ends now. (laughs) How do you think you're going to stop us? Nichols laughed dismissively as he sized up Jason's hunched figure his breath coming out in ragged gasps as droplets of blood soaked the floorboards beneath his feet. We'll tell them what you've done. Scott's voice was thick with rage. You killed my father. I won't let you get away with it. We'll tell the newspapers, TV, anyone that will listen what you've done. And you think they'll believe you? Nichols asked in a mocking tone, the same dismissive smile playing across his lips. Come on now. I mean... You're obviously sick with grief. Anyone can see that. I can't blame you for wanting to believe these ridiculous little fantasies. And as for you, he turned his gaze towards Jason, not even flinching at the sight of the gun pointing straight at him. Who do you really think they're going to believe? A fruitcake copper who was suspended after seeing ghosts wandering down the motorway? or a detective chief inspector with over 15 years' unblemished service. With a sinking realisation, Jason recognised the truth of Nichols' words. Their only shred of proof had just been ground into dust underneath Nichols' heel. Nobody would believe them. And as for evidence, Nichols continued, his smile widening, your fingerprints are all over that gun. Jason looked down at the gun he was holding the metal cold and slippery beneath his blood-stained fingers. He shivered uncontrollably, the pain from the wound in his shoulder making it difficult to think straight. Come on, he said, placing a hand on Scott's shoulder for support. We've got to get out of here. What? But he's bluffing, Scott protested. We've got the gun. We can make him tell the truth. I'm not letting him get away with what they've done. He won't, Jason promised wincing as he tried to catch his breath. But we've got no proof. He gestured towards the smashed-up laptop, the memory card completely obliterated in the wreckage. Without that, we can't do anything. Not here, not now. Scott clenched his fists in frustration, angry that what Dyer was telling him was true. Come on, Jason repeated. We have to go now. Keeping the gun gripped in his hand, He shakily unclipped his handcuffs from his belt and, gesturing with the gun barrel, shepherded Nichols towards the radiator on the far wall of the office. Forcing him to his knees, Jason kept the gun trained on his chief inspector as he handed the cuffs to Scott. Put these on him, he told Scott. Whatever you do, wherever you go, we'll find you, Nichols sneered as Scott threaded the cuffs through the metal pipes of the radiator and then snapped them around Nichols' wrists. You'll have to get out of these first, said Scott. 
He turned back towards Jason, who was swaying slightly as he stood there, the gun still held in his shaking hand. Blood was oozing from the bullet wound, a spreading crimson tide soaking through Jason's shirt as the roaring static of pain clouded his mind. Rushing to his side, Scott slipped his arm around Jason before his legs buckled. Behind him, Nichols struggled to free himself, cursing as he rattled the handcuffs in impotent fury against the metal pipes. Let's go, said Scott, as he dragged Jason's dead weight towards the study door. The two of them staggered down the stairs, slamming through the front door and down the path. Stumbling across the rain-soaked square, Scott flung open the passenger door as Jason slumped inside, blood pumping freely from the wound with every movement he made. As Scott dived around to the driver's seat, Jason fished the car keys from his blood-stained pocket with shaking fingers. Can you drive? he asked, the question barely a whisper as Scott grabbed hold of the keys. Of course, Scott muttered as he turned the key in the ignition and crunched the car into gear. My dad used to take me go-karting all the time. As they roared off down the street, Scott swerved to avoid the oncoming traffic before glancing at Jason again. Dyer's eyelids flickered faintly and blood oozing from the raw wound on his shoulder stained the seat of the car. Hang in there, said Scott, as he wrestled the car around a corner, a wail of sirens growing in the distance. His juddering gear change slammed Jason against the passenger door, but the detective didn't even make a sound as the clamour of pain filled his mind and he slipped into oblivion. <laughs>